Borak Thongers. Let's. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 63rd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode we're covering 2000 AD for April 1981, progs to 206 to 209. This week, we deal with graffiti, the future shocks roll on, we ice some demons, and Croydon is missing! Oh, man. <laughs> oh, no. It's very, very exciting events going on here. And mm-hmm. let's get them started with just a brief tease of things to come with Thrill One Strontium Dog. Man, this, this one comic thing is bullshit. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so Strong Team Dog this month uh, Script Robots Alan Grant Art Robots Carlos Escara Laring Robots Steve Potter Just one Strong Team Dog this month And that's a bummer mm-hmm. but so, Especially because it's awesome Yeah, so uh, in the credits card for this one uh, Escara's and Potter's names are reversed Which seems to be uh, just a, a, a typo <laughs> and just to say that, yes, we can see spot typos in these things every once in a while. They don't all fly over <laughs> our heads. Um, <laughs> so it's it's Portrait of a Mutant Part 7. It's 2162 and Johnny Alpha is a rising star in the mutant army. But a couple of his father's goons have come looking for him. Uh, so not, I guess, what do you do with your alpha brainwave eyes? <laughs> well, not afraid to let people know that he's Nelson Creelman's son. Johnny instead uses his mental powers to completely brainwashing them, leaving them completely gibbering insane. Well, I guess let's get rid of these weirdos. Also, you're now, like, my surrogate son. Yeah, I'm gonna kick you out. Be your father figure. <laughs> Dude, he really uh, gives Johnny a hand. At learning a new set of military skills. Ah, uh, because he's general arms and he's got four hands. Get <laughs> it? I did it. I did a joke. <laughs> so, um, Bilba Creelman assumes that his son is dead, much to the sadness of his wife, Johnny's mom, who <laughs> appears up. to be in an he's iron just... lung of some kind. <laughs> yeah, she's like laying in bed crying, and he's like drinking fucking alcohol. Like, fuck yeah, he's dead, bitch. That's how it goes. Like, gonna live it up. <laughs> yeah. So now it's time for a montage, Fox. Gonna have a <laughs> montage. Even Strontium Dog has a montage. Uh, <laughs> with <laughs> it's it's both uh, Johnny growing up and becoming an awesome mutant warrior. And by the age of 14, General Arms is second in command, and also of his dad, Nelson Creelman, rising through the political ranks, eventually becoming the Minister for Mutation. Oh my god, that sounds, like, I guess, important. It uh, sounds important and pretty bad, because he starts herding all the mutants into uh, into uh, labor camps, basically, which is real bad. <laughs> It's definitely a holiday camp, right? Like, oh, okay. Where you go and have fun. Yeah, it's a holiday camp, like the holiday camp in a District Nine or whatever, right? <laughs> you you know it's bad when like the far shot of one of these camps it looks like just a castle on a hill, mm-hmm. like Castlevania or like Vlad the Impaler <laughs> style, like <laughs> massive amounts of like crucifixes everywhere. Yeah, just it's just surrounded by gravestones. <laughs> It's horrible. <laughs> so we end up with a so we end uh, this prog at a grand meeting of the mutant armies from all over uh, uh, New Britain in the ruins of New Coventry Cathedral. Arms and Johnny are there, and the words on everyone's lips is singular: war. 
Johnny's story continues in Prague 210. Screw you, rest of this episode. <laughs> Peace yeah, out. I mean, fuck. <laughs> like, I was getting all excited because they had a freak's moot. Yeah. And are about to, like, make war on all of the normal people. Uh, with all awesome the best. Superpowers. All the best mutants are at this freak's moot, too. Um, my favorite mutant, the torso from Newcastle. Um, <laughs> the the be- One of the best Stronty Dog supporting characters, Midden Face McNulty, is there. All but right. Awesome. Enough of this. Yeah, just a just a sousson of of, of strontium dog and a moose bouche of mutant <laughs> warfare to get us ready for next what episode. The fuck? <laughs> a taster. There we go. Now you're speaking my American language. That's right. Yeah, watching too much Top Chef. But so let's go to uh to our next exciting tale of the future, Fox, with thrill to. Future Shocks! Dude, ah, I really like Future Shocks. Future Shocks roaring back into the prog this month again with full, one in each, uh, one in each, one in each prog. First up, yeah, it's, man. it's The Last Man. Script robot Gary Rice, art robot Brett Ewins, letting robot Peter Knight. So, from out of the swirling radioactive fog come four rough, tough apocalyptic survivors, possibly the last four people on Earth. Well, the last two now is half of them are instantly vaporized by sniper fire. Not great. The friends that you've been surviving with this whole time have just been cut in half. I hope you don't that. go through any trauma. One of the, the one of the one of the la, the uh, one of the last two tries to reason with the gunman, but it's blasted and for his trouble. I love this gun that's being fired because it basically just opens up like a um, like a hula hoop sized hole in your chest. <laughs> blows the hell out of you. Yeah, um, it really just explodes on contact. Yeah. The final soldier makes a desperate dash to take the sniper out. He takes a mortal wound on the way. He finally makes it to the sniper's nest as he's bleeding out and finds that the sniper is, lo- is a long-dead skeleton with his corpse finger on the trigger of a motion-activated rifle. The last man on Earth dies, having been killed by a dead man. Bam, bam, bam! <laughs> Hooray! They all died. Yeah. Hey, man, some of the best. All right, I I like a Twilight Zone that ends with everyone being killed. Everyone on Earth ever being killed. No doubt. You know, it it makes you appreciate that we're still alive to to do things, you know? Like listen to ridiculously loud music. Well, okay. Next up is the sound of silence. Kelvin got <laughs> uh, script robot. Kelvin Gosnell is Alvin Gaunt. Art robot Mike White. Lettering robot Tony Jacob. This Ooh. one is like my fucking favorite. <laughs> Ooh, those no good neighbors with their loud sound system and aggro nature. <laughs> I like. It's surprising they're just sitting right next to the speakers as they're just like thumping yeah yeah basically there's this guy keith foster he's got this these neighbors who play something like real loud and annoying at really high volumes i think it's funny because it's like uh a a mom and a dad and their sort of no good teenager son and it's clear that the dad loves listening to this music real loud and but he's like he's like a super old guy with like you know like the bald the bald on top and the hair on the sides wears a vest and stuff he's sort of classic like a angry old dude dressed Mm. and i'm just wondering what what kind of music he's listening to (laughs) that 
That's got to be up that loud. That, that, and say that's thud. so loud. Yeah, and just making a bunch of like thud, like uh, percussive sounds that I really associate with like I don't know, like like metal or something like that. You know, whatever it's listening to, it's real incongruous to how he looks. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's like kind of future, so maybe it's just like this is what we'll be like listening to our dubstep on super loud. <laughs> I don't know. He's <laughs> some fifty year old guy listening to dubstep in twenty forty or something. I can buy it. Yeah. <laughs> still old and guys are still old guys, I guess. <laughs> fair. And yeah. so it's like he goes and talks to this kid. The kid's the only nice one, even yeah. though he's like clearly just like a complete hooligan. Yeah, but then yeah, he kinda talks to the kid and the kid yeah, kid seems nice, but then the dad comes roaring out saying, You tell me to turn my music off <laughs> I'll you cl- sooner, bitch! I'll clobber your butchers! Or whatever you'd say in England, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> clobber your butchers? That's right. So <laughs> uh, so Keith Foster's tired of it. In his ba- he's an engineer. In his basement, he resolves to create a device to negate sound. After a quick montage, even Future Shocks has a montage. It works. Um... <laughs> Dude. And he's free of his neighbor's sound system. But with a silence machine, Fox, hey, why not turn to a life of crime? I, it wouldn't have been where I immediately jumped with that amazing invention, but... Why not, you know, indeed? <laughs> the, the machine lets Keith do some pretty brazen crimes that people don't notice because they can't hear him committing them. So, like, throwing a brick through a window or, like, chiseling open a wall safe for no real problem. So, like... But, like, he's, when he throws the brick through the wall, he doesn't even wait for the cop to be, like, not in eye shot. Mm-mm. Right? Just, no. like, as soon as that cop keeps walking he's like all right time to fucking steal all these jewels that's right (laughs) it's great yeah so eventually he tries for the london bullion vault and he almost makes it fox but he doesn't realize that they have dogs that sniff people out as well so (laughs) as he like dynamites the door um he's arrested you know taken to jail and uh finds himself in a cell with Oh, that kid from the old neighborhood who turns on his radio real loud. Oh, no! And he's he's like, hey, oh, you're cool now because you're like a criminal like me. Hey, I'm going to turn on my radio. Yeah, I got a gift from dad and my my transistor radio or whatever. (laughs) So weird. It's amazing. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so the next one is Fish in a Barrel. Script robot oh, Steve, yeah. Steve Moore, art robot Eric Bradbury, letter robot Steve Potter. This is a weird, ambitious story, I think, where two sets of ugly aliens are fighting an interstellar war against each other. Yeah. There's a ton of, like, awesome alien pictures and space fighting scenes and stuff. And, like, uh, like super... Uh, I don't know, spaceships? Yeah. It's like an egg, space egg? Yeah, it's like a big space fort, and like, you know, these two aliens, and sort of just a bunch of aliens fighting amongst each other and stuff, but basically, there's these fish aliens, they manage to trick a bunch of orc aliens into invading their home planet, but then they've developed teleportation technology, so um, they manage to escape, and so they blow up the planet they used to live on, taking all of their um, um, opponent aliens with it. Excellent times. Great. <laughs> Signature move. Hey, man, when you got that, tele- you know, it's fun to have crazy things in teleportation for sure. But now it's time for my favorite future shock, Fox, which is <laughs> yeah. Return of the Two-Story Brain. 
Oh my god, it's Babbler and Sinmash. Or it's my favorite of this prog of this episode, I should say. So yeah. Script robot Alan Moore, art robot Mike White, lettering robot Peter Knight. So yeah, Abelard Snaz, the man with the two story brain. Last seen being dumped into deep space back in Prague 190, episode 58. I love that's where it exactly picks up. Yeah, well, you, you can't spend too much time in deep space, you know. Uh, so, Snaz and his robot buddy Edwin have been picked up by a passing spaceship pi- piloted by Julio Mulabar, a down-on-his-luck spaceman. He's lost all of his money at, at the casino, and Snaz offers to help uh, to, uh, to pay back being saved by making a tiny time machine to help him uh, gamble better. The time machine not unlike the one that Amtrak has in Return to Armageddon. <laughs> that Ooh. warps you back in time so it's easier to cheat at, at a gambling. Except they, I guess you just hide it in the chest of your weird robot. Yeah, instead of a belt. And then go yeah. cheat people out of their money. Absolutely. Well, it's just the casino. They, uh, with only, the, yeah, they, they, they put the machine in Edwin's chest so that no one will find it. They head out with only 50 credits. They go to the roulette table and soon they've won millions. Which. Hey, good times. It's pretty good. Yeah. With only, uh, after spending time celebrating and stuff, they go to get their spaceship, but the doorman won't go get the, uh, Get, get the car for them? Which, like, just go get it. Yeah. I don't, you know, who knows? With only 50, um, so, sorry. Uh, they basically, Snaz bets the doorman, uh, te- uh, 10 credits on a flip of a coin. If the doorman loses, he'll get, he'll, uh, he'll go get the car. Otherwise, they'll give him, uh, 10 credits. After a series of, like, 200 or so double or nothing losses, <laughs> uh, Snaz and Julio have, have, um, They've lost all their money. They're ruined because the doorman has a probability scrambler that uh, makes the coin always fall in his favor. <laughs> and Edward isn't th- wasn't there to activate the time machine because he's been busy falling in love with the lady robot. <laughs> Abelard suggests that they go back to the past and try again, but Julio isn't having it. Instead, he takes the time machine and warps them all back to the start of this story, leaving Snaz and Edwin to rot in space. I guess that's just what you do when you're a... I don't know. I feel like that that's kind of an overreaction once you have the actual thing that could make all your money back. Yeah, it seemed like they just, you know, you just go back in time and don't... You know, if you go back as far as you want, just don't do that bet thing. And you seem like you'll be good to go. <laughs> maybe he, maybe Julio kept the time machine. And so now he's just going to put it in some other robot and do it on his own without snaz to mess it up being all weird. I guess that's fair. It's just, you know... Guess just kill the guy then. Bam, bam, bam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, he, he left him to die. That's different. He was going to die anyway if he hadn't been there in the first place. So I guess if that's what if that's how you sleep at night, I say that's good for you. <laughs> Anyhow, speaking of uh, enforcing the laws, maybe not of probability, but of just of Mega City One Fox. Wow. <laughs> I do my best. We've got Thrill Three. Judge Dread. Did you notice on this wall it says who judges the judges? Mmm. So I think it's kind of interesting given that, you know, Watchmen, etc. Yeah, and just the fact that we got judges who need to be judged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh script robots for this month are uh, John Wagner, Alan Grant, writing Stevie Grover, art robot Brett Ewins, Ian Gibson drawing as Emberton, Ron Smith and Colin Wilson, Larry Robots Tom Frame. 
germ right so no credit card in Prague 206 which opens with judge dread standing in front of a huge graffitied wall with incidentally both ta- tags from both chopper and phantom to graffiti I thought that was kings. pretty cool yeah the graffiti gra- graffiti is a growing problem among jubes in the city that's juveniles uh, offenders and stuff and we see dread arresting a bunch of no good wall scrawlers making them for like they're forming a human pyramid to try to tag a spot that the scrawler king chopper has already claimed oh my god he beat you to it get yeah. out of here and am scream by that i mean juve cube time bastards yeah dread makes him walk to the station in the juve cubes in that pyramid he starts just rounding up all the kids scrawlers even satchmo I thought was Which, the funniest thing. So weird. <laughs> he sends him to the cubes for six months of pop. Meanwhile, at school, young Marlon Shakespeare is not paying attention in his unemployment class. After what? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, five percent or whatever of Mega City One has a job, <clears throat> so you got to, you know, people have to learn what they're going to do with their lives. So they aren't going to be working, you know. One fine job, unlikely. <laughs> Two. Uh, keep occupied. Three, keep off the streets. Four, keep out of trouble. Five, find a hobby. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, two of those things are not like the other. <laughs> After narrowly avoiding getting picked up in a sweep for scrawlers um, and getting yelled at for doing poorly in unemployment class by his folks, who manage their time pretty well, his dad is 18 years into trying to head an egg into a bucket and be the only person in Mega City 1 who can head an egg, an egg into a bucket. And his mom just Gosh. is just sort of washing up. You know, she washes all the dishes, then she dirties the dishes and washes them again. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? It's <laughs> a little uh, it's a little intense. It's pretty family life. It's pretty intense in terms of the uh, the desperate existence of Mega City 1 <laughs> inhabitants. <laughs> Just a box of dirt that you keep right next to all the other things in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. So Marlon Shakespeare resolves to be somebody and to do something with his life. And that's why, in reality, he's Chopper, king of the Mega City One Scrawlers. For having such ugly, horrible hair, his outfit's pretty dope. Yeah, he's got like kind of a, he's got like almost like a dreadlock liberty spikes or something like that, I'd say. I think they're supposed to look like feathers, yeah? Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Uh, so, yeah. to prove it, he writes his name as large as possible on the Huck Whitney block, which Huck Whitney, I believe, is a made-up uh, name. But anyhow, it's a massive mm. piece of work and a crowning achievement, except that the next day, someone has someone named The Phantom has written, Chopper is a Ninko above his name. Ooh, that <sighs> Phantom! It's a Scrawler War! Oh, man. And it's the Phantom. Definitely not like Batman or that Phantom, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> not the uh, the ghost that walks in uh, Africa? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but Phantom does have a, have a very Batman-y kind of uh, like, uh, symbol for his name, whereas Chopper is the word Chopper with like, a smiley face in the O. Yeah, they're both pretty clever. Yeah, but I mean, like, how do you top someone who just topped you? He, you go off, you go off, and you write your name on the white cliffs of Dover here in Mega City One on tour. Now they aren't guaranteed white. Oh no! Now people are gonna want their money back, it, and the lettering is so fucking huge. It's really like, gigantic. It's a mountainside. Yeah. How- how long did that take this child? It must have taken him all night or something. I don't know. He's, he works pretty quick. 
but <laughs> so the um, things are getting out of hand as like the phantom diverts traffic and tags the Mega City One like ma- main highway, <laughs> and so eventually the phantom calls out Chopper, the Statue of Judgment, Saturday. <laughs> but like everybody knows that it's going to happen. So all these judges there with spotlights, it's yeah. like hundreds of them, man. Yeah. Marlin prepares for the job as dread heads up a massive security detail. Yeah. Spotlights and observers everywhere, but chopper uses a reflective cloak, heat activated paint and monofilament wire to do the job. When he hears the sound of suction cups, it's the phantom, but the phantom is a, a- Robot? Yeah, it's a like wall. It's a apartment painting robot or something. Either way, the judges have spotted them. The Phantom explains that it's like a city painting droid doing a drudge job for its entire life until it's disassembled, totally unremembered. <laughs> and uh, Chopper is a real freak out because that's exactly what life as a human in Mega City One is really. And goddamn, it's happening to robots too. <laughs> it's, I mean, it means that, like, it, it's hard to tell whether, like, it's humans becoming robots or just, you know, or, like, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody just lives these blank lives in this city, just sort of existing. That really messes Chopper up. And, and f- the Phantom, actually, because the Phantom knows that he'll be taken and reprogrammed and turned back just into a normal robot. So instead of doing that, he's going out scrawling. He uh, jumps off the side of the, of the Statue of Judgment, sort of with his spray can going as he falls, leaving a big line down the Statue of Judgment, um, and uh, dies on the at, at the foot of the statue. God, it's intense. It's super intense. Uh, Chopper, meanwhile, is taken into custody. He gets five years in the cubes, but as he's taken, the sun rises on the city. And as heat-activated paint starts working, a Chopper smiley face appears on the badge of the Statue of Judgment. Chopper is King Scrawler! Oh my god, I'm gonna really just own that for the next five years. Listen, buddy, Chopper will return when he gets out of the Juve Cubes a little over four years from now in Prague 424. That's amazing. And really? that, yeah, and that's when Chopper gets, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. I'm not going to freak out too much, <laughs> but it's going to be good. <laughs> All right, then. Um, I love this story. And I love it just, you know, as someone who talks a lot about Mega City One as a character, you know, Dredd's barely in this story. He just kind of appears in the opening and in the closing to arrest Chopper and stuff. A lot of it's just learning about what life is like in Mega City One, about how, you know, about how people deal with like sort of this weird future, just like, it's a, it's, it's weird because it's sort of a, it's sort of a post need dystopia, which is an interesting kind of concept, right? Because yeah. usually when we think of like post need situations, it's like a Star Trek, right? Where people could just do what they want. And, you know, do interesting things. But this is sort of a, a dark version of that where, you know, I guess you can sort of have a place to live and food to eat and all that stuff. But there's no, like, there's no, there's no need or even want for people to go out and, like, actually, you know, have a job or accomplish something like that. I don't know. It, it's an interesting idea. And I guess just like you run out of hobbies. I mean, there's only the so point yeah. where you decide to do something, like, really just bizarre, like dirtying dishes. Or just being covered in eggs as you try to head one into a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just really weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, next up, we've got uh, the residents of the Sunny Bono block are in revolt. 
Dude, this... This one's good. Yeah. They've declared the block an independent city, and that won't fly with Judge Dredd. We learned no that... Way, uh, man. Yeah. You can't just secede from Mega City 1. No way. Yeah. Uh, we learned that Sonny Bono has become a trouble block with all the worst citizens in Mega City 1 forced to move there. Soon it was covered in graffiti and eventually, like, literally falling apart in, like, two weeks, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, what the hell? They've taken the mayor hostage, and while the smart move, obviously, is just to sort of lay siege and, like, wait them out, essentially, Dredd doesn't want to give, um, doesn't want to give the rest of the city any, any ideas. So instead, he jumps in, and he just basically Dread 2012's his way to the re- leader <laughs> of the revolt. <laughs> I would have also accepted Die Harded. So well, yeah, but this is this is Die Harding through a Mega City One uh, city block, so it's Dread Twenty Twelve. That's right. So everyone quickly, clever boy, do my best. You know, everyone quickly surrenders as the judges move in, um, and it's revealed that it's not the mayor held hostage, but just the pizza <laughs> man. It's Something. Like, hey, uh, can I like not? Here. Something really weird's going on here because this is just the crappiest revolt anyone's ever staged in Mega City One. <laughs> yeah, so of course let's dig a little deeper. Yeah, and so the tech boys find out that the block is actually being hit by subsonic vibrations. It's what's oh, causing the block to start falling apart, and it's driving everybody crazy. The the waves are coming from the Patsy and Noble block. Uh, Patsy Ann Noble, a.k.a. Trisha Noble, is a singer and actress that was big in the 70s and early 80s. I guess I should say yeah. that Sonny Bono was also sort of a singer in that same era, you know, famous for hanging out with, Sh- for being married to Cher and the two of them having the Sonny and Cher hour. You know, I got you, babe, and all yeah. that stuff. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. Most recently, Trisha Noble played uh, Padme's mother in Star Wars Episode Three. But so... um the folks at Noble were shooting a sonic wave generator at Sonny Bono to make the building be condemned and have the trouble citizens moved somewhere else so they'd stop lowering their property values. Yay, rich privilege. Yeah. Anyhow, all the Bono people are pardoned, and the Noble folks are all arrested <laughs> for causing their whole revolt thing. And the trouble citizens need a new place to live, so how about the Patsy and Noble block? Let's get them in there. <laughs> Kind of pretty, ain't it? Makes yeah. me sick. Exactly. Yeah, set up these climbing bars everywhere because we're monkey guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so our, the final story uh, we're start uh, is the start of a series of uh, of strips that we'll see for Dread over the coming months, which is basically describing different crimes in Mega City One, uh, Damn. starting with body sharks. This one's so weird. Yeah. So, do you remember Fox back in? Prog 120, episode 36, we learned about, like, suspended animation clinics for rich people in Mega City 1? Yeah, it's like Restful whatever. Yeah. Restful Towers or something? Yeah, but basically, when you're, like, sort of dying of an illness or an injury or something, they freeze you until medical science has a way to cure it, or just, you know, so people can sort of drag your dying out a little bit because like you know you don't want to lose your mom completely so you just sort of your mom's dying you come visit her for an hour every couple of months or something like that <laughs> the uh the dark side it of this seems t- so horrific <laughs> yeah it's, it's weird man it's uh there's a whole there's a whole thing in, in uh that comic uh transmetropolitan that's all about people waking up from be- from this situation and it's very interesting 
It's just like how you sort of wake up, a, you know, 200 years in the future and your disease is cured, but suddenly you're 200 years in the future and society's moved on and you're like, well, I don't understand anything. Oh, Futurama effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like Futurama, but when you're smart enough to actually be freaked out by everything, as opposed to Philip J. <laughs> Fry, who's so dumb that it just sort of bounces off of him. <laughs> It's like sweet, what a dad chick. Exactly, but so the dark side of this cryos of of of, of cryo freezing people, Fox is uh, is body sharks, which is, are basically loan sharks <laughs> who give you money and then cryogenically freeze and store your loved ones as collateral. Just really uh, a great way to go and get some money. I mean, you know, it's just like like, like regular loan sharks. Like, they might, like, you know, take something from you or, like, th- physically threaten you. They'd love to take just, like, your, your wife or something to hold over your head, but they don't want to feed and take care of your wife. Like, that's a more trouble than it's worth. But if you just sort of plug them into the, into a, into the refrigerator and then get them when you need them, that works out much better. <laughs> we see a man... about this. I mean, I'm just... Trying to put together what they're saying. We see a man named Hines get 5,000 credits to bribe his way into a job, putting his wife up as security. We also see a bunch of crooks freeze their mama to finance a heist. The, None of these people are making good life choices. No. The, uh, the crooks buy a hover forklift to try to steal a bullion van by just flying over it and lifting it up off the road. But they forget to factor mm. in the fact that like that bullion van is going to be full of bullion and that's incredibly heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't take off and uh, are quickly pursued by Judge Dredd. Meanwhile, that Heinz guy finds out that five thousand credits isn't nearly enough to bribe his way into a job. And doesn't he get mugged? Well, yeah. As that forklift thing, sort of, you know, as Judge Dredd chasing the forklift and the bullion cube and the bullion truck sort of careen into the place where everybody's uh, like waiting in line to try to apply for this job. In the confusion, Hines is mugged for his paltry loan. <laughs> like suddenly he's got nothing. Like even if he had the money, he had to he has to pay back like double or something like that because the loan shark has huge in- interest rates. So even if he kept the money, it's not like he could get it back and get his wife back. He's got to, you know, he had to get that job to pay for it. Now he's sort of, you know, up shit creek, basically. The, uh, the crooks with the hover, um, with the hover lift, the Mungo brothers, refuse to rat out the body snatchers, and Dredd tries to put some pressure on the snatchers, but the snatchers have, uh, lawyers that sort of yell back at him. Um, but Dredd's basically like, ah, I hate these body snatchers. I'm going to take them down. <laughs> They're criminals. Therefore, yeah. I do not like. Exactly. Meanwhile, that Heinz uh, looks out on the city. He's lost it all. What can he do? Next episode, shark bait. I mean, here's the tip. Don't fucking take money from a loan shark that then freezes your wife. Oh, sure. Yeah, you got uh, not needing a loan shark privilege here, Fox. That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm saying like, oh, God, I've lost everything. I mean, I, I feel like yeah. just the first step was the worst decision. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, definitely definitely price how much bribery money you're going to need before you just sort of blindly try to get um, bribery money. That's what, I, that, that's what I would say. Right. Make, I don't know, like, make it crystal clear, like, exactly how much you have to bribe somebody. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it might be rude to ask how much you have to bribe somebody, but it's good to know. So... <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, hey, speaking of uh, un-American graffiti, Fox, 
Let's yeah. go to non-thrills, covers, and nerve center. So, uh, Prague 206. It's on American Graffiti. Dread mounts a cleanup campaign in this excellent Mick McMahon cover showing a wall scrawler getting dragged off. Uh, this is a fun cover that actually, um, it gets reused a fair amount, actually. Like, they're just really? having, yeah, like, uh, 2080 j- just had an event called, uh, the Juve Cubes, and they used this cover sort of as the advertisement in, uh, in, like, the 2080 Progs and stuff. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. In, uh, inside the Prague, we learned that the Dan Dare TV show, uh, previous put on, previously put on hiatus is now completely banned, despite Elton John having recorded a track for the soundtrack and David Bowie soon to follow. Oh, man. I, I looked up and there is an Elton, a, a Dan Dare Elton John, uh, song, song, but I don't think it's a reference to either the 2000 AD version or this TV show. Oh, wah, wah. Yeah. Um, after that, there's a massive two-page review of Superman 2 by Rojas, complete with pictures <laughs> from the film. Rojas finds the special effects to be great, but the plot to be poorly paced and disjointed. He liked Terrence Stamp as Zod, though, and I think that's all just generally good opinions about Superman 2. It's, it's got its ups and downs. I mean, he, he definitely closed off the whole thing being like, don't don't mess up Superman three, you know. Yeah. Learn some mistakes on. This. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, did they not learn that lesson mm-hmm. whatsoever? Yeah. <laughs> In the nerve center, there's a nice picture of a future trooper, and Tharg starts promoting the uh, upcoming sci-fi specials and annuals, as well as 2000 AD's fourth anniversary. Um, one letter asks if Tharg's green skin means he, pre- he supports Glasgow Celtic and Tharg responds, he doesn't know what that is. And I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. All of our Scottish listeners just exploded. Okay. <laughs> in, uh, in, I mean, I hope not. In, uh, in Prague 207, it's definitely on Zarjaz as Dave Gibbons draws the cover for the creep that stole Croydon. Uh, in the nerve center, Tharg the Ghost again mentions the anniversary issue coming up. The highlight of the letters, despite, besides some cool images of Thrill Power Unleashed, Nick Stone and T-Bone and Judge Punk, is a letter from famed comics writer Warren Ellis, actually who wrote Transmetropolitan, which we just mentioned, currently aged 12 and writing in to lobby on behalf of not calling humans Earthlets. Wow. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah, despite being a big uh, English comics writer, Ellis doesn't have a ton of 2080 appearances, and the ones he has, I think, are almost entirely in the letters pages as a kid, so let's savor this one. That's adorable. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. In, uh, in Prague 208, the Destroyer's taking over Earth. Only I can save it. Jesus Redondo with a dope Return to Armageddon uh, poster, or a cover, I should say, featuring a reborn non-Melty Amtrak and the strip's new female lead. And uh, him doing, like, the two-fist yeah. left hand thing, well, Captain he, Kirk smack. No, he's, uh, he's two-handed swording a bunch of demons, I think. Oh, I see the sword there. Yay! Yeah, yeah, you see how cool. it is. Yeah. In the prog, it's, uh, it's 2080's birthday, which is confusing to me. Because the comic <laughs> debuted in, like, late February, not, like, mid-April. So, why is it here? Mm. The, uh, it's number 208, and that's divided by 52. So... Oh, it, come on, guys. If you're sort of 
papering over the fact that there have been gaps in the publication history and you actually had one prog a week this would be the fourth anniversary but buddy that's not true <laughs> that's not how that works yeah but um anyhow there are three Atari 1600s with the Space Invaders game to be won, plus 50 record sim- singles of some kind of Space Invaders song, so get on that. Jam. Yeah. In the nerve center, Thark wishes himself happy birthday. There's a drawing of a cool photographer ghost thing, and letters <laughs> are mostly kids listing their top three stories of 2000 AD. One kid rates Fleshbook 2 and Disaster 1990 as top, and those are bad choices, just in terms of Flesh and Bill Savage stories. <laughs> I mean, really? An- a- another kid asks for a, a plus-size Judge Dredd shirt. No dice! <laughs> Damn. There's a, yeah, there's a silly quiz where you match up a character's dying words to the images of their deaths. Uh, as oh always, Clock or uh, no, what was it, Clock Harbor? Yeah, one of those guys' last words of "Big Hungry." No, I is the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Tharg also rolls out the concept of the Krilltro Thargo, the honored by Tharg, because now that everybody who reads 2080 regularly is a Squawkstex Thargo, we gotta have some people for special uh, levels and stuff. Huh? So hearing out. Yeah, we'll sort of meet some some of the some of these new uh, Krilltro Thargos in the '82 annual, and anyone who's awarded this award gets a signed Tharg photo, which sounds awesome. What? What? Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, when we if we have no, sorry, when we get current on um, 2000 AD, we got to get we're going to become, if not Krilltro Thargos, at least the or maybe even the higher level of it, which which doesn't exist yet in our timeline, but does in real life. <laughs> well, let me tell you, of course, we're going to get all of them. I want that Tharg signed photo so bad, buddy. <laughs> I will literally die. Yeah, on the uh, on the back cover, we see uh, Rojas has taken over as editor, and he's putting out Prog Three Thousand, a metal rust proof edition for one hundred groats. Perfect. And the uh, the, the cover is two is two thousand AD featuring Rojas. In my dream, in, in my in my fondest uh, fondest hopes, in like twenty thirty or twenty thirty six or whatever, when Prog Three Thousand comes out. <laughs> If they actually oh put God. put out a metal uh, a, a a metal prog with that cover, that would be so cool. But you know, that'd be pretty great. Also, like nine hundred and seventy progs or nine hundred and fifty <laughs> progs from now. So whatever. In uh, right, yeah, in prog two hundred nine, Ian Gibson draws a one off cover where a bunch of silly robots are retraining to be nanny droids with the help of robot baby models. Ah, oh, but but one robot seal another robot's baby. Oh my god, this picture just alone is funnier than all of Captain Clep. It's definitely just got a very Mad Magazine-esque, like, there's a, like, as you look around, you see more and more jokes and stuff like that, like, of, um... Yeah. Of the one, the one-legged human in a circus outfit whipping the droids to, like, take babies and take care of them. What the fuck? Or, like, a robot baby vending machine, I guess, that's just sort of po- <laughs> popping out, like, real-looking babies, just, like onto the ground if robots don't catch them fast enough. And then just all the different robots with, like, different, um, like, amounts of legs and arms and shapes and sizes and stuff. It's pretty neat. Yeah, weird. How's the... I mean, what if you're quadrupedal? 
I mean, I guess like this guy on the right, but he's got hands. Yeah, I mean, the guy on the cover's got four legs and two hands. You know, they, you find a way. These robots, they're resourceful. <laughs> um, in uh, Inside the Prog, there's eight reader surveys from the 1981 uh, reader survey. We get responses from readers ranging from age six to age 20. I'd say a six-year-old might be a little too young to be reading this, but I don't know. There, it's also about evenly split between prog oneers and newer recruits to 2000 AD. In, mm. in the nerve center, there's pictures of a, the Judge Thrill Sucker, Tharg the Cosmic Mean Machine, and a martial arts droid. Tharg once again plugs the 81 sci-fi special, and letters discuss more alternate versions of Beetlejuice and aliens showing up in different kinds of science fiction. And someone describes a Thrill Sucker invasion of the Channel Islands. Ooh. Yeah. Also, Rojas has a brief cameo hosting, you know, reading letters for Rojas-based topics at the end of the Nerve Center. Um, there's also um, late in the prog. There's a gallery of reader art, including a including Judge, including Drudge Dread with a mop and a bucket. A picture <laughs> of a robot waiter that uses so many straight lines and stuff. I'd say it was drawn using MS Paint or something like that, but that doesn't actually exist at this huh. point, so I don't know. Um, and an exterminator guy that I'm getting a lot of very uh, proto rogue trooper vibes from. Absolutely, it's very cool. But Fox, oh man, we're in the second half, and the second half has the fun stuff in this brog. Well, no, actually, no. Oh. I love Chopper, but there's some fun yeah. stuff coming up here. Yeah. With yeah. Buddy <laughs> Thrill Four, Return to Armageddon. Script robot Malcolm Shaw, art robot Jesus Redondo, lettering robot Bill Nuttall. Inside the Stone of Eternity, Amtrak is dividing like a cell, like a dude cell, like a cell that divides, but it's dudes. <laughs> I'm splitting up. I'm connecting to myself. I'm getting real intimate with my uh, multiplicative uh, self ideology. Exactly. Whoa. <laughs> uh, uh, meanwhile, as this happenings, the as this is happening, the ship with Seeker, Atlanta Watts, and Celis freezes over. Just full oh, on. Hey, that thing that happened last time. Yeah, ice dudes. <laughs> As he divides, Amtrak is greeted by a voice. It's another one of those triad people. This one, mm. a male, also named Amtrak. Or at least, oh. he's the holographic recording of Amtrak. Like, um, you know, what's his name in Superman 1? But, uh, <laughs> Marlon Brando. <laughs> you mean, uh, Pa-El? Yeah. I don't know. Marlon Brando. I don't know what his yeah. name was. Dead. Marlon Brandale. Yes. He says also he, looks kind of Marlon Brando-y. Yeah, it's interesting. He says he's rebuilding our Amtrak's body to once again be a regular melty person, or a regular person, no more melty horror. <laughs> the, well, and we get the reveal of, like, I'm Amtrak, I'm the original Amtrak, you aren't Amtrak, that's just your weird fucking name. Yeah. Uh, I totally was the guy who made this shit happen last time. Also, I'm going to have you stop suffering. Yeah. The triad explain. Yeah. He also explains that Amtrak is the other half of the destroyer. That when the monster was created, it took half of it, 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 it. Sorry. It took all of the good in its body and just tossed it into Amtrak. <laughs> which, which, all right then. Which, so it's sort of like twins, that movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is all the good parts of a guy and Danny DeVito is all the <laughs> leftover parts. Um, but it means yeah. that, it means that if Amtrak kills the destroyer, he will die also. Amtrak will do it, die also. Amtrak seems pretty okay with that, though. So good times. 
Yeah, he's a good guy. He's yeah. going to do the good guy stuff. Exactly. Anyway, it seems like only the stones can defeat the Destroyer, but they can't leave this dimension, so Amtrak will have to lure the Destroyer back here. To help out, he gets a sweet magic sword, the sword of the first triad. It's steel is cold. Which, you know, we'll find out more later, but yeah, I yeah. think you get the gist. Exactly. Uh, so, hey, time to return to Armageddon, buddy. But Why not? FYI, it took some time to rebuild Amtrak's body, just so you know. How long? Like 30 years or so, I guess. <laughs> oh. Atlanta Watts and Salas are long dead, though they did finish their lives inside a computer simulation of decadent excess, so that's cool. Yeah, it's just them being doted on by babes while they drink wine and have a lot of, like, good-looking fruit. Yeah, I'm gonna, you know? yeah, yeah, you know, fruit peeling, that's a key part of decadence. <laughs> no. Yeah, some incense going around, incense, quote-unquote. Whoa, Amtrak and Seeker get back <laughs> on their ship, they return to Earth, and find it of all a full-blown hell. Uh, the seas are full of people burning to death in oil, while the cities are full of demon monsters. There's darkness on all sides of the earth, the only light from burning corpses. Which is, like, really gross. It's cool, it's man. It's definitely 100% hell. Yeah. If you weren't really sure if this guy was a devil or whatever, I yeah. mean... If the wings, horns, and goat legs didn't tip you off... <laughs> We see a line of people being led into a demon-faced volcano, whipped along by demon monsters, and Amtrak goes to investigate. This is getting sexy. Yeah, so, just to be clear, Earth is literally hell, is ruled by demons, there's huge statues of the Destroyer <laughs> everywhere. Amtrak decides to land and check out the situation, hefting his new swords, and also just letting us know that, FYI, he's no longer immortal. Yeah. He rolls out and just starts stabbing the hell out of demons. When they're hit by the yeah, when they're hit by the swords, they're immediately encased in ice, just like uh, like a Mister Freeze gun from that Batman movie. Except a little more ineffective. I mean, it kind of takes them down. Uh, one it's of the short range. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, definitely just just sword based. One of the humans, Eve, heads out with Amtrak. They fight their way back to the ship. They climb aboard, but some demons have boarded the ship also. And oh no, they've killed Amtrak! Oh my god, they're just beating the shit out of him. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Well, they haven't quite killed him. Instead, Eve grabs the sword and starts swinging it at herself, turning various demons into demon sickles. Um, though all scratched up, things seem okay. Amtrak meets the lady a little bit better, Eve, and, you know, meets her a bit more formally. She explains that these demons are called chromos, and that her people were specifically bred to feed them. Which are great. Yeah. I mean, they clearly had time to also have really great fashion sense. So. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta look good when you're going to be eaten, that's what I say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Things are going okay, but then get bad as their ship is attacked by a huge swarm of metal locusts. They start eating the ship oh and soon break through and attack Seeker as well. Amtrak manages to kill them, freezing Seeker in ice again as a side effect. But the ship is too damaged. It crashes into a derelict tower block. Oh, God. Amtrak's things get even worse. Yeah, Amtrak's leg is trapped under the wreckage. There's no hope for him. Just take the sword and go! Like, seriously, leave me, take the sword, get that demon off this planet, and fucking fix the shit, mm -hmm. random woman that I've met. Exactly. Next episode, Unlikely Rescue. Man. We turned so to it started yeah. fine. 
I'm even I'm even like I'll be bought in on the girl. Like you want to bring in like random case of the not gays, that's fine. <laughs> right? Like it's going to happen, I guess. Mm-hmm. But like was it I don't I I'm curious to see where it goes cuz so far it just feels kind of kind of like it got tacked on. Well, I I got to say I don't know if I'm liking this new direction for um Return to Armageddon, you know? Now it's become sort of a straight-up fantasy story guy with a magic... You know, reg- handsome dude, yeah. magic sword, love interest. We're on this weird place. we got to fight this demon. You know, that's sort of... It's it's missing just the sheer unexpected batshitness of the first half... Of the first part of the story, you know? Yeah. Like and, it, like, why not beat it with science and sci-fi? Yeah. And I, not just, like, a fucking sword and... Yeah, nice. at this point, I feel like I can a little bit more predict what's going to happen as opposed to yeah. the first part where just everything mounted on was like, what, what, what? Now it's like, okay, I got, I got an idea. I've seen that now. I've seen this part of the movie before. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I'm still definitely stoked to see how it works out. Return to Armageddon remains the art remains really awesome, and the story is is oh, still course. very fun. So I'm, I'm excited. And to see also, how it goes. he's finally a human, so we don't have to look at Sludge Man. A I lot. like Although the melty version, so man. Sludge Man. I love the idea of that. Like, why? You know, we don't, you don't <laughs> have to be a handsome hero. You could be an ugly Sludge Man and still fight for justice or something. I don't know. I mean, yes, it's true. He was invulnerable and in yeah. an eternal world of pain. Yeah, you know, up. You know, s- s- swings and roundabout. That, that's what I say. But. Uh, <laughs> But speaking of our continued crazy-ass stories, Fox. Oh, God. <laughs> Thrill 5, Meltdown Man. God. Script robot for Meltdown Man. Alan Hebden, art robot, Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot, Jack Potter. So What happens when you put a polar bear on a uh, on a chariot? <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. Polax and his goons prepare to attack Anvil as Nick Stone struggles to, com- to convince the humans there to team up with the rebel Yugis. The majority of the humans try to flee via monorail, but the tracks and trains are destroyed by the brigands. It's, and not like just like, oh, like we blew up the tracks or whatever. No, no. it's like while all these passenger trains are on there, they just fucking exploded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Similarly, human attempts to hold off the predators fail as their arrogance means they have terrible tactics. St- womp, womp. Yeah, Stone and his UGs manage to run the brigands off with a horde of AK fire and pole axes routed as the remaining humans agree to work with the rebellion. But someone's missing. As he flees, Polax finds the unconscious body of Liana and resolves to take her to Lishar, hopefully for a reward. That's some crap. Meanwhile, in a case of mistaken identity, Gruff the Wolfman is being executed by a bunch of country gorps. <laughs> uh, flashback to Gruff back at uh, hanging out with his buddy Caleb the Camel. Caleb agrees to fight with Stone, and Gruff heads up to meet at the second rendezvous point. Uh, mm-hmm. Caleb gives Gruff a, gra- a guide armless, this goat UG, who doesn't have any arms, since the name. And things are going pretty good until Billy the Pope the Pup attacks! Oh my god, I'm here. I'm here to get your wolf. Oh my god, why is this goat kicking the shit out of me with its feet? Ar- armless uses some awesome kick-based martial arts fighting as Gruff escapes. 
soon. Oh my god. Our buddies, the Cheetah Men, are after Billy, who escapes down a cliffside into a forest and manages to get his bearings in time to see Gruff thrown into the sky, presumably as part of his execution. Jeez. But it looks like actually the execution uh, setup, which is basically tying Gruff to two different trees and then cutting the rope, sort of tying the two trees together so the trees would snap back up and rip him in half, like sort of like by whipping his two legs in different directions and then, you know, splitting them that way and be, whoa, be gross. Um, instead, that's malfunctioned and now Gruff's swinging around by one tree as the mob calls for his blood. Luckily, and just getting pitchforks real close to his body. Oh, yeah. Luckily, Billy the Pope, the pup in- intervenes. Gruff couldn't be the wolf they're looking for. The villagers are skeptical, but agree to put Gruff in jail while Billy finds the real culprit. One and a. Gruff asks Billy to join their side, but Billy is not interested. Meanwhile, back in Anvil, Stone decides to go and rescue Liana, and he takes King Seth along just in case. And has T-Bone start distributing guns around to various, you know, rebel cells around the world. Hey, man, we don't want to get, like, what what happened to them? Crucified? No. Or did they get stuck with uh, they got, they got impaled on stakes, I believe. Yeah, by no, the, by the By that. the brigands, so yeah. Here's all these guns. <laughs> exactly. Seth and Stone head out in a sweet future car as Stone drives fast and makes <laughs> uh, Seth explain more backstory of this world. Yes, uh, it was a meteor. Yeah, it turns out a huge asteroid hit the South Pole, which flipped Earth completely, like upside down. North is south, the sun rises in the west, etc. Oh my god. This caused massive devastation to the point that the humans currently living in space at the time didn't even bother to mount a rescue or anything. Oh, they're just dead, I guess. The uh, yep. folks on no Earth... No sense in doing anything here. <laughs> nope. The folks on Earth are on their own. Wait, wait, wait. What's that about space guys? <laughs> um, yeah. Seth said he just added that because it's part of a fun legend. This sort of brush off of that anger stone and they start to get in like a fight in the car. Seth triggers a psychic blast and they all go flying off the cliff. You know it's a powerful psychic blast because it hurts Nick Stone in both of his eyes, one of which is just an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Stone and Seth are found by a band of UG gypsies in cool, like, tiny car houses. Like, they're basically just a tiny house with a ca- with a car in the front. Um, yeah, this is weird. And, uh, hey, it's a lion. We've heard of one of those before. Yeah, there's a bunch of wolfman types, and our leader is Leo the Lion Man, who is, in fact, the former leader of the UG brigands that Polax uh, uh, took over. Leo yeah. agrees to help Stone uh, find Polax, and the trio of Stone, Seth, and Leo head out on Polax's trail. With uh, with Seth inside of a cooking pot. <laughs> Take that, Seth. So Polax is approaching the human capital of Sutermunda and is soon picked up by Lee Shar and my favorite Tiger Commander. Uh, well, no, my second favorite, I <laughs> Tiger guess. Commander! But I love Tiger Commander. Polax tries to cut a deal, but is beaten into submission by their goons. Uh, Liana and Lishar have a full-on supervillain moment where Liana warns Lishar that Stone is going to get him, and Lishar is like, you think I've been sitting here doing nothing? And he's about to unveil some new and terrible thing he's been cooking up to take down Stone. I think what you mean is he's really preparing himself for a long-ass diatribe slash monologue. Always. Next episode, The Secret. 
Uh, ooh, yeah. I wonder who's going to tell it. Oh, man, it's going to be a bunch of positive thoughts. Maybe Stone's going to put together a vision board. It's tough. He's got one eye, so it's hard to have that kind of vision. Ah, it's a joke oh about God. the secret. <laughs> Fucking God damn it, <laughs> Oh, man, these jokes are mighty, Fox. And you know what else is mighty? Uh, Thrill Six, Thark the Mighty. It's pretty mighty. Man, um, I'm real moderate about these Tharg stories, and the fact that we're getting them instead of Strontium Dog this month is just, ooh, ooh. It was not making me happy. It hurts, yeah. So, first up, uh, Tharg the Mighty, script, uh, script robot is unknown, art robot, Mike Dory, lettering robot, Peter Knight. Uh, Croydon, a town outside of London, probably best known as the setting for the television program Peep Show has been stolen by giant grabbers. And I guess that's a bad thing. Yeah, the ransom note is hand over power by 12 o'clock or you'll never see Croydon again. So what does <laughs> Margaret Thatcher do after consulting with our weird president, Reagan? Well, well I want to say first, my favorite part of this whole thing is first they have a cabinet meeting to decide whether they want Croydon back. <laughs> like, do we that's want great. Croydon back? One guy's like, ah... I think we do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it'd look bad if we didn't, right? <laughs> well, one's just like, oh, you know, my, my and, and, yeah, they, they, half brother. They decide to do it. There. Yeah, because that guy's half, because one of the general's half brother lives in Croydon and he owes him 50 quid. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, set it the fuck back down. I need that money. First, they consult with Reagan to see if, if he's seen the city. Reagan hasn't, but he offers Detroit as a replacement. And then a bunch of other actually pretty top-tier cities. Like, I don't know, I'd take New York instead of Croydon. I don't even know anything about Croydon. But if I was My in England, I'd like take New maybe York. Maybe these are uh, cities that he lost in. Nah, you'd think so, but uh, I don't, well, don't want to get into 1980s electoral politics. Um, yeah, that's fine with me, man. <laughs> let's move on. Um, it's, uh, but uh, Thatcher instead uh, has no choice but to contact uh, Tharg the Mighty because she's a Squawk Stack Thargo. And which all right, I, mean, I want I want to say my my pet theory is that Thatcher being a Squawk Deck Thargo is why so much of the 2080 editorial staff hates Tharg so much. Damn, <laughs> they hate Tharg. So uh, it it turns out that Croydon has been taken by Narg the Blarg, Tharg's cousin uh, and the one evil Thargian. I mean, yeah. You know, always <laughs> In the butt shaking. Yeah. After some quick investigation, Tharg realizes that Croydon is being held on the dark side of the moon. A quick space battle takes place with which Tharg uh, god modes through, as Tharg is known to do. And <laughs> Narg is tied up and then shrunk down to envelope size and set to the Quaxan authorities. For which, all right, great. Yeah. For his heroism, Tharg is awarded a year's supply of polystyrene cups from the mayor of Croydon. Florix Crabunde! Yum yum. Yeah. And we got two more Tharg stories. Uh, it's a two-parter. The day they banned 2000 AD. Uh, Art, robo <laughs> Art Robot's Ian Gibson is Q-Twerk. Letter Robot, Tony Jacob. Mm -hmm. Oh no! 2000 AD has been banned! But why? How are we going to deal with this? Cut to a few days earlier when the dictators of Zrag are called out of their castle... Where, uh, or, or sorry, are called up to a castle where their father, who's a big jerk, tells them to destroy Tharg in 2000 AD or they'll get the strap. The dictators, 
Uh, Sorry. No problem. The dictators use an evil spell from their mom, the Hag of Zrag, to enact an ultimate spell. They bring to life all the villains of 2080 vac issues. Artie Artie Gruber starts wrecking up London. The Volgons invade the USSR, which is ironic. General Two. General Two from the Robo Hunter Verda storyline attacks the Sydney Opera Opera House and Flesh Book One Dinos make a new home in the Eiffel Tower. Zutalor! But not before a policeman steals a kid's comic. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The Flesh Book One, magnifique. Uh- there's also and then suddenly the Mekon shows up and things got stupid. With a whole bunch of other random 2080 villains as well. Yeah, geeks. Yeah, they all threaten the two, th- and and they come blasting out of the back issue closet in the 2080 offices. Yeah. Oh God, that was supposed to remain closed. Yeah, Thar not have like a Twinkie analogy. <laughs> Thar quickly takes out the baddies in the offices, and then he receives a call from the UN do something about these worldwide baddies. Tharg addresses the people of Earth using the rosette of Sirius, saying to be calm, don't engage the bad guys, and then summons forth the 2000 AD heroes, including Urso, who makes a quick cameo. Fuck yeah, bud. (laughs) Chop, chop. Yeah. Earl Reagan and the Flesh Boys start taking down dinos with uh, hover carts. Awesome. (laughs) The uh, the Harlem heroes airstrike Gruber, and Savage starts blasting his way through St. Basil's Cathedral. (laughs) Sometimes you just got a shotgun of Volk. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tharg has the office block that the uh, 2080's headquarters are in blast off and hunt down the dictators of Dragon Hyperspace. The dictators are defeated, but Tharg returns to find the leaders of Earth have banned 2000 AD in response to all the trouble. Luckily... Man. Oh. Go ahead. No, luckily, millions of Squawks deck Thargos come out, they organize and riot all across the world, from Australia to Zanzibar, 2080 is unbanned, and the dictators and their mother, the Hag of Zrag, get the zap, get the strap! Don't, uh, it's like the worst kind of spanking. Yeah, it's like there's just this big, like, piece of leather with a bunch of spikes and stuff coming out of it. It's real bad. It's not the greatest childhood. Listen, <laughs> if you were ever given the strap as a child, please call the number below. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, you know, Tharg's okay. Man, I would have rather just jumped to the next part of the Strontium Dog, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, look, he is mighty. I know that. Yeah. I just... I'm ready for less... This month. I'm ready for less Tharg stories, I gotta say. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right, Fox! So, uh, the greatest of questions. That's it for Thrills this month. What was your top and bottom thrill for April 1981? You know what? I'm going to say the top spots go to Future Shocks. Aw, damn. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, They were, like, sometimes a little serious, but, Mm -hmm. like, for the most part, interesting stories. Like, remember when we used to read these and, like, they were just 100% bad? Yes, absolutely. And, like, our our saving grace on those were like, well, at least it's just a page this time. Right. Now I'm like, damn, this thing's got, like, three pages. It's about a skeleton that kills a whole bunch of dudes. Like, I I don't know. It feels like they've stepped it up a bit. I like them. I find them funny or at least, like, interesting. I mean, hell, that... uh, the sound of silence was like five or six pages. Yeah, or they're getting like they're, they're definitely getting longer and better. I'd say, which is a good sign. 
Yeah, it's definitely where you can kind of flex doing something else for a second, see if there's anything good there. Yeah, awesome. Um, for bottom, I mean, I'm not going to say Tharg, because he's the boss, but, <laughs> hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, like, I hadn't really thought about, like, how much uh, Return to Armageddon has changed until you really brought it up, and... Like, I, I definitely agree. Like, the first half, you're getting some of the space stuff. He gets, like, reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. But at that point, like, I mean, you can mix some space shit in there and, like, have him go on a few more adventure things. But this definitely feels... I feel like this is going to be wrapping up soon. You know what I mean? All right. It's not. But, yeah, I, I understand. Oh, it's not? <laughs> no, I think... Um, I mean, I can... I Let me... Uh, hold on a second. No, because I think... Return to Armageddon goes into, like, you know, for two or three more months, I think. Well, I really hope that it doesn't keep going down this course. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of, but there's more stuff coming up. Yeah, Return to Armageddon goes until uh, 218, so it's still got, like, about nine more, nine, nine ten more, I guess. All right. Issues to go. I mean, so, like, that's still... Like, three more like, months. Like two, Yeah, no, we're so, I mean, we're, we're in the back half of it, for sure. But, um, you know, yeah. It's it's sort of re- reaching its climax and stuff. Yeah. So I mean that's kind of where I said. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So how about you, man? Also, return to Armageddon's on all the way to your bottom this month. That's a, that's awesome. I love the uh, the change, um, moving things around. I mean, like, so this is the thing. Like, it got top spot and it and it earned it. It's and been this top is for not since, a bad comic. Yeah, it's been your top since since it debuted. I think. Yeah, I just like look, man. I. I I don't know. Just no, don't, that's fine. Don't do me dirty and do swords. Like, <laughs> demons in space, that's that's what excited me, you know? Yeah. That's like, oh, we've got to go find the event horizon, or, oh, fuck, we're just like a couple of space truckers, or, sure. you know, something akin to that, where it just instead went uh, kind of um, a big trouble in little China route, you know? Ah, yeah, where, interesting. Where it just goes a little bit more ridiculous. It's not, I mean, it is about Amtrak, but it's not super about Amtrak for the most part, because mm-hmm. he's kind of secondary to the plot moving along. He's, <laughs> he's the device that's making things go, but, mm. like, it's more about the characters around it. Yeah. Okay. And now it's yeah. just like, okay, it's it's go time for all, all Amtrak. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. No, I definitely understand. I, I, think, I think that's interesting is all. All right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So how about yourself, man? Oh man, there's so much good stuff this month. Um, just it's it's hard for me to think of it to to get to a top. I really liked uh, Un American Graffiti. You know, I, mm. I the character of Chopper is a real good one going forward. And then there's just so much of that Mega City One stuff, both there and in the Body Sharks one, that are both just like um, you know the stuff I really love about Judge Dredd specifically. You know, I'm just sort of. Here's Me- here's Mega City One doing stuff, you know, stuff that's like, ju- you know, obviously Judge Dredd's in it, but it's less about specifically ju- uh, Judge Dredd doing stuff and more about mm. um, the city doing stuff. But then also there's Judge Dredd blasting his way through uh, the Sonny Bono block and being very like you know cool and actiony there. Um, yeah, you get a little best of both. Yeah, so I think I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Dread this month. I you know Return to nice. Armageddon is always fun, um, but I I agree that I mean like I said it's kind of moving in a direction that 
isn't quite the wondrous ridiculousness that it once was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I also, and Future Shocks were also great this month, you know, uh, Ab- like I said, Abelard Snaz is, is, is one of my favorites. And then the other stories were also really good too. And just sort of having like, like fun Twilight Zone twists and stuff. Fuck yeah. Yeah. For my bottom, I'm going to say Tharg the Mighty, man. I don't know if I, these Tharg stories are good every <laughs> once in a while, but three in a month, that's too much. It's too much yeah. Tharg. Like, it's like we, we get it. He does it the same way every time. Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's so all powerful that it's all these stories are just setting up a situation for Tharg to snap his fingers and instantly uh, fix, you know? And so, yeah. um, you know, it's not like, it's just, I wish there was other stuff. I mean, like I said, this month Tharg took the place of uh, Strontium Dog. And while that might just mean that they actually didn't have the Strontium Dog stuff finished yet, you know, and needed to buy right. some time or something, um, I'm still like, here in the future, I'd rather have a Strontium Dog <laughs> more than anything, oh, yeah. you know? Or, or just add a page to everything else. Yeah. I mean, so, I guess that's a lot easier said than done. Absolutely, but. yeah. It's one of those things of sort of having to plan ahead to know all that stuff and things that's hard to do. And that's sort of the nature of these Tharg stories is that they're sort of like, hey, we have a blank spot in the prog this month. So, you know, fill fill five pages or fill five pages over the next two progs or something like that. Jeez. And this is the story they came up with. And that's sort of... You can tell of, when they were starting to quit on that, on the uh, first Tharg story when they got to the Galactic Courier and it's just a whatever, put wings on it and right. a fucking weird draft. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so... You know, not my favorite, but I mean, still moderate again. You know, I feel like we're saying this a lot of just that um, our bottom choices are not the bottom of the 2080 barrel, but definitely Mm. still not as good as the other stuff that we're seeing in the course of these episodes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I think like way in the past, I've told people to just skip certain things like right (laughs) out. And this is not one of those situations, right? Like, it's fine. It's just more of, we got... Look, we've got refined, delicate palettes now. I could go with a Tharg story every two months. That would be that. That would be great. <laughs> oh fuck! I mean, if I got one a year, I'd be much happier. That's what it is nowadays. You know, nowadays, well, like Tharg pops in at Christmas or something like that, and sort of does stuff. We'll make it special. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, awesome. Awesome. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find 2000 AD on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Craddleline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2000 AD forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, just look up SpaceSpinner2000, and that should be us. Come back next time. Yeah, as we learn more about the Mega Rackets, Amtrak confronts the Destroyer, and T-Bone and T-Commander, a.k.a. Tired Commander, showdown in the ultimate battle of UG superiority, arm wrestling. Oh my god, are you serious? That's right. Oh, Jings, I almost forgot Johnny's, uh, Johnny Alpha's back with the Mutant Rebellion kicks off. A certain midden-headed revolution leader may be showing up as well, laddie. What the fuck? <laughs> That's the bad Scottish accent. Until next time, I'm Conrad. <laughs> He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Verthring!
making your mind up. You're making your mind up. 